Good morning again. We launched Emmanuel 14 years ago, and a whole lot has changed over the last 14 years. But some things have remained the same, and the big one is this. The Bible from the start has been our go-to source for what we believe and for what we do. In fact, I try to challenge our team to capitalize the word Bible, to capitalize the word scripture, and even go this far. I challenge our team to capitalize when referring to the Bible, words like chapter and verse and passage. Why? Because the Bible isn't just another book, and these aren't just other chapters and passages and verses. I'm a big fan of books, big fan of books. And the world has never had more access to more of them. Today, we're able to read histories and philosophies and commentaries from the world's best thinkers and history's greatest influencers. Over the last 14 years, I've read more than 200 books, and I've looked for the best of the best. I've tried to look for, for books that were purposely chosen to help me become a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better communicator, a better leader a better neighbor, or just simply to become a better informed person. And I can say without hesitation that the Bible is decisively different than any other book that I've ever read. There's a lot that's being said about the Bible. And as we enter year 15 now as a church, and we enter into a time in history where godly guidance, oh, it is desperately needed. We thought it'd be a good idea to, describe, to go and explore the Bible's origins, to wrestle with challenging questions, and to consider the impact that these words are still having today. We're going to start with an object lesson this morning. And while I get into place, I invite you to write this down. The Bible is decisively different. Back in a former life, I used to be a youth pastor. And one of the things I loved to do was to do object lessons. So here we got a little object lesson for you this morning. I have several best-selling books in front of me, and I want to put things in perspective. When we say the Bible is decisively different, here's one of the reasons why. I have one of the best-selling kids' books of all time in front of me. It is Good Night Moon. How many recognize Good Night Moon? Yeah. It sold 20 million copies as of 2014. And I'm going to use 2014 stats here consistently across the board. So if each one of these pieces of paper represents 1 million copies printed, we've got 20 copies there representing 20 million Goodnight Moon sold. All right, we also have another bestseller, Harry Potter. How many of you familiar with the Harry Potter series? As of 2014, they had sold an estimated 60 million of each of the books in the series. So I have 60 pieces of paper here representing 60 million copies. That's a lot of copies. All right, the next book in, on the, uh, the table here is The Da Vinci Code. Familiar with this? It caused quite a stir when it came out. The Da Vinci Code sold 80 million copies. So we have 80 pieces of paper here. All right, here's the number two bestseller of all time. Any guesses what it is before I do my big reveal? It's the Quran, the Quran. It has sold a billion copies. So we have two reams of paper here representing 500 pages each. So we have a billion, billion copies. Now we come to the Bible. Six billion copies printed. Six billion. Now, you might be saying, hey, that's not fair. The Bible got a head start. Let's go there. Take a book like The Da Vinci Code. Its entire run up until 2014 was 80 million. 
the Bible has an estimated 100 million more copies being printed each year. That's 20 more million, 20 million more in just one year than the entire run of the Da Vinci Code. And if you take even one Bible app, like Version Bible app, they have an estimated, not an estimated, they have an actual hard number on this, 450 million unique devices have the Bible app, the Version Bible app on there. So what's going to happen over time? Over time, is the gap going to get smaller or is the gap going to get bigger? That gap is going to get bigger. This is a unique book. Why? Why does this collection of documents have such a prominent place on the world stage? And why do so many people order their entire lives around this book? Why? Conversely, why does the Bible fuel such unrelenting aggression against it? In a world filled with so many publications that are so offensive, in a world filled with so much literature that fuels greed and injustice and rage, in a world where there are so many noble battles to fight against poverty and abuse and disease and outright evil, why are so many people directing so much hate towards this collection of documents? Why does this series matter? Because you and I are going to come across people who are either raving fans of the Bible or we're going to come across people, I should say, and we're going to come across people who are Bible haters. You're going to come across people who believe that you should order your entire life around this book. You're going to come around, uh, come across others who are devoted to banning it from public discourse. This isn't just another book. These aren't just other chapters and passages and verses. So I'm going to go back to my teaching spot right now. And when I do, I invite you, as I do, I invite you to write this down. Most people have opinions about the Bible. How well-informed are yours? Is the Bible just a collection of stories like Goodnight Moon or Harry Potter? Did the Da Vinci Code get it right when they claimed that, that the Bible was put together and, and collected uh, in the result of a Middle Ages vote? What sets the Bible apart from other religious books like the Quran? Was the original content altered over time? And what about the Bible's apparent contradictions and hard sayings? We founded Emmanuel back in 2007. We made a commitment. We're not going to duck the hard stuff. And over the course of this series, we are looking forward to wrestling with hard questions like the ones I just gave you. In fact, it is in my blood to ask questions, literally. I was at a family reunion not too long ago on my dad's side, and I heard a story about my dad that I had never heard before. This came from one of his brothers. Apparently, before my dad met my mom, he met this beautiful Catholic girl. Things were serious enough where they began to attend pre-marriage classes together with her priest and with several other couples. Well, my dad was a Lutheran boy, and as the classes went along, he had a lot of questions about the things that the priest was saying. And almost every week, he found himself raising his hand and, and asking a, a question, does the Bible really say that? Well, this particular priest wasn't used to people asking questions, especially about the Bible. And it wasn't long before my dad's questions began to snowball and, and other people began to ask questions about the Bible too. 
Well, this continued until one day when the priest asked my dad to stay after class. And he pulled my dad aside and uninvited him from pre-marriage classes for disturbing the peace. My dad, think about that. My dad got uninvited from a course on how to have a God-honoring marriage because he was asking sincere questions about the Bible. Now, for the record, I am not throwing Catholics under the bus. I'm not giving the keys to the bus to the Lutherans. That's not what I'm doing. There are countless Catholics who are students of the Bible. And there are countless Lutherans who think John 3.16 is a bathroom on the third floor. My point is this. My point is that we, as a church, we want to be a people who welcome questions about the Bible. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's one of the things that drew so many of us to the covenant denomination. The covenant is a family of churches that was founded by people that used to ask two questions. Where is it written and how goes your walk? Love those questions. So let's do it. Let's see where it's written and let's talk about our walk. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is a passage that people often go to when they're talking about the Bible and the authority and the place that it has in our lives. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, if someone asks you, why do you believe the Bible is God's word? Please do not just simply open up to this passage right here and say, I believe the Bible is God's word because the Bible says that it's God's word. And then think you can just drop the mic and end any kind of discussion. That's called circular reasoning. That's not a mic drop. Goodnight Moon could do the same. Harry Potter could do the same. Da Vinci Code could do this. They could say, this is true because we say it's true. If you're looking at this as a, in fact, if you're a note taker, I put it down this way, right? I'd encourage you to write this down. 2 Timothy 3.16, it is a better starting point than a mic drop. When you just pull this passage out of context and try to use it as a debate ender, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you use this passage as a starting point with, with someone that wants to have a real conversation, or if you're a person who wants to really understand why do we look at the Bible the way that we do, then this is a great starting point great starting point. With the little time we have, let me show you what I mean. This verse appears in what is um, appears to be last known letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. He's writing this from prison, and it's clear that he doesn't have very long to live. He's in prison because he couldn't stop sharing what he calls the gospel, the story of Jesus. He's writing to a young man that he's passing the torch to, a young man named Timothy. And in this letter to Timothy, Paul says things like this. This is uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 14. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Jumping ahead to verse 14. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you know me. You served alongside me. You know I didn't live one way publicly and another way privately. You know that I didn't do this for money or for fame. 
he said, Timothy, I believe these things so deeply, I'm willing to die for them. And you're going to need these words too. Let's jump back now. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this. In the last days, and you know what? As we're reading along here, if, if any of these, if you see examples of any of these things in the world today, why don't you, why don't you put up your hand just, to, just, to, just for fun here. But understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Ooh, see any of those things in our world today? All right, how about this one? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths. Does that describe our world today? In a world like ours, with so many voices saying so many different things, what can we anchor to? Now let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 in context with the verses that surround it. From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Timothy, he had a mom, he had a grandma that introduced him to the sacred writings of the Hebrew people. By this point in history, there was already a collection of documents known as the Septuagint that contained all of the books that can be found in the Old Testament portion of our Bibles today. Paul refers to these words as scripture. And he believed there was something different about these words. How different? If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. The nature of scripture required a new word to describe it. Did you know that? We printed the Greek transliteration of that word in today's um, we, uh, note page. It's a word that you're not going to find anywhere in print before Paul used it here. It appears as though Paul created a brand new word that had never been used before. Paul took one Greek word that meant God. He took another Greek word that means breathe. And he created a one-of-a-kind word because he wanted to describe the decisively different nature of Scripture. Scripture, says Paul, is God-breathed. What happened when God breathed in Genesis? There was life. What happened when Jesus breathed on his disciples? The Holy Spirit came upon them. Scripture is God-breathed. The word of God is life-giving, and it is spirit-infused. All right, let's connect the dots. If, 
if. If you just take 2 Timothy 3.16 out of context, use it as a conversation ender, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's just circular reasoning. But if you're in a conversation with somebody that has real questions, or if you have questions yourself, 2 Timothy is an interesting place to start because you find one of many reliable witnesses whose life was forever changed by the word of God. And those words are so decidedly different, they needed a new word to describe them. This fall, we want to invite you to explore this one-of-a-kind book with us. And let me say this, there have never been more or better resources to help you understand these God-breathed words. In today's notes and quotes link, you're going to find a page that you can download where we list some of our favorite Bible resources and we break them down by ages. It's our hope to get a page on our website where you can go and you can find all these as well with a video that explains why we chose these resources. We want to do everything we can throughout this series to equip you with helpful facts and helpful resources. Imagine if every one of us could give helpful, accurate, intelligent responses to these tough questions that people have about the Bible. Or at least we could have a place where we know we could go to try to find some answers. And beyond that, beyond that, imagine if every one of us could experience what it's like to have these God-breathed words spoken to us. Our invitation to you in this series is this. We invite you to discover the God-breathed nature of these words for yourself. There are times when these words will do more than provide principles or instructions, as important as that is. There are times when they are going to speak to you directly. In our Explore membership course, you're going to hear me talk about one of those moments. When I was reading this child's devotional book, and it had a little portion of scripture in it. And God used that little portion of scripture to help this church become a reality. So I'm going to save that story. I'm going to save that story for, uh, for Explore Membership. But what I want to draw your attention to is this, the publisher of this book. The publisher of this book is, a, is, a, is called Tyndale Kids. Tyndale Kids. Are any of you familiar with the name William Tyndale? William Tyndale. William Tyndale was the first person to translate the Bible directly from Hebrew and Greek into English. At least he got most of the way there. And his passion for getting an accurate translation of the word of God into the hands of people, it cost him his life. He was executed by strangulation and then burned immediately at the stake. And his dying prayer was that the king of England's eyes would be opened. That his eyes would be opened. William Tyndale, Tyndale was one of countless people who gave his life so that these words, these words could get into our hands and into our minds and into our hearts. Next week, that's where we're going to pick up with how the Bible came to be. 
What is its backstory? But right now, let's pray that God's going to open our eyes to the true nature of this one-of-a-kind book. Let's pray. Father, we pray that. We pray that you would open our eyes to this reality. Lord, I pray that you're going to open the eyes of those whose eyes have never been opened before. People who have been told that this is a book of myths, it's a book of stories, or that it's, it's a book where the things that happen in it have exaggerated over time, or, or it was somehow compiled by these powerful people who wanted to control others. Lord, I pray that you would meet people during this series. Help them to see the true backstory behind this book and what a wonder it is, why it is so decidedly different. And Lord, I pray for those whose eyes have already been open to that. I pray our eyes will be open wider, that we will come up way better equipped to be able to answer hard questions. And Father, with even a stronger foundation when it comes to why we trust this book the way we do. Thank you, God, that you have passed these words, these living words, these God-breathed words onto us. Lord, we pray that we would treasure them, read them, and live them out. This we pray in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.